I was really blessed by the communion and the, the worship tonight. I was kind of, when Matt was talking, I, I had this, I felt like I got a, a word of the Lord, you know, and, and what I heard was that true freedom is losing ourselves in Him. I'll say that again. True freedom is losing ourselves in Him. And that's the struggle, right? I think the, the biggest struggle that we have is fear of losing ourselves. We want to hold on to things. We want to hold on to different pieces of ourselves. But it was like I was seeing Jesus and I just becoming one. He wants to become so one with us that we, we no longer look like ourselves. We, we take on his nature. And that's why he has given us the Holy Spirit. Because that Holy Spirit's inside of us and, and we begin to, to learn to take on that nature of the Holy Spirit. We, we start having the, the mind of Christ. We start having his desires. We start, um, we start doing everything with his passion and his love. And so I just heard that tonight. True freedom is losing ourselves in him. Maybe you're struggling with that. But it's a, it doesn't make sense. But when we lose ourselves in him, that's the freest we can be. But our story tonight is about the resurrected Christ appearing to his disciples who had been hiding behind locked doors. They were in fear of the Jewish authorities. Jesus meets us in the middle of our fears and doubt to strengthen our faith. All throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus teaching his disciples not only to believe in him as the Messiah, but to actually place their trust, complete trust, in him for their concerns and well-being. I remember being a young man, I think I shared this once, but I, I thought I had great faith as a, as a young person, right? I, 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 didn't, I couldn't really fathom why other people struggled in believing God. I'm like, man, that's simple, you know, like, why is that a struggle? God is real. I didn't, I didn't struggle with that, but over the years, I began to realize faith is a lot bigger than just belief in God. I mean, the scriptures say that even the demons believe in God, so it's not a big deal. But what I found out through the years, through various ordeals and trials, I understood that faith was not just belief in God, but it's a supernatural trust in God and God's care and concern for our lives. That no matter what we're facing, he will get us through it and somehow use it for our good. And that's hard to believe, right? That he'll get us through the trial and not only will get us through that, but he'll somehow use it for good. That's something that even a lot of mature Christians struggle with. That God, how, you, how can you use this for good? In fact, great men and women in the Bible had to experience trials and the testing of their faith. All of them. Each of them were given the gift of faith, just like we received the gift of, gift of faith. And next, they, they receive great promises and they accept them. But something happens after they accept God's promises. It seems like everything seems to go wrong. Do you ever notice that? It seems like they get this great promise over their life and then everything goes wrong. But what happens is that they have to endure the testing of their faith, to see the fulfillment of what God had promised them. We need to understand that God works in this way. He works in this way 
because he wants to purify our faith, right? It's, it's a pattern. He gives us the gift of faith, and then he, our faith is tried. It's like metal. That if you've ever seen like a foundry or, or metal being purified, it has, to, it has to be heated up, and all the, the, the imper, imperfections or the, the worthless metals go to the top and get scraped off. God does the same thing in our lives. When he wants to remove impurities in our life, guess what he does? He cranks up the heat. And this is important to understand because I feel like that, you know, when this happens in our life, this, this healing process that we sometimes think that we have to run away. You know, the, the temperature gets turned up and all these impurities are starting to come to the surface in our life and we think, oh my gosh, something is wrong with me. Like, I'm not a perfect Christian after all. But we need to understand that instead of running away and isolating ourselves, that this is a time to become honest and transparent to allow God to perform heart level surgery in our lives God really does want to give us the desires of our heart but he needs to change our heart first and so don't be afraid when that happens or don't think that you're unique or that it's unusual it happens to all of us even leaders here God is very he's in the business of refining us but in our story Jesus meets his disciples right in the middle of their fear and doubt to strengthen their faith. He wants to move them out of despair. He wants to move them out of hopelessness into joy. And so we read in our passage, I'm going to go verse by verse. It says, uh, and we're in John 20, 19. It was late that Sunday evening, and the disciples were gathered together behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish authorities. I want us to Kind of imagine, let's, let's place ourselves in their shoes for a moment. It's easy for us because hindsight is twenty twenty. but imagine you're one of them. You're, you're afraid, you're behind locked doors. Only a few days ago, Jesus had been handed over to Pilate, was crucified. Their Savior was dead, he's buried. It seemed like all hope was lost. There was nobody to follow. Perhaps they might have thought that the last three years were too good to be true, right? Maybe it was just a, maybe it was just a dream and, and now they had to wake up from that dream and face the harsh reality of life without their Savior. And this is happening even though previously, like we, if you were here last week, Mary Magdalene and some other women had seen the risen Lord at the tomb. But Luke 24, 11 gives us a, an interesting insight. This is not in John, but it says that the apostles thought that what the women said was nonsense and they did not believe them. Right? So even though the women got to see the risen Lord, they were spreading the report, the, the, the apostles didn't believe it. They're like, this is nonsense. We don't believe that. It must be crazy. Out of your mind. So we find the Lord's apostles in a state of despair Fearful, behind locked doors, wondering if they were next in line to be arrested and tried. But luckily for them, Jesus tends to show up when all hope is lost. Don't you love that about him? He always appears in the darkest moment. And our next verse, it says, Then Jesus came and stood among them. Peace be with you, he said. After saying this, he showed them the, his hands and his side. The disciples were filled with joy at seeing the Lord. In Luke's gospel, he explains that the apostles are terrified because they thought they were seeing a ghost. 
they, they thought this was so terrifying to them because the doors were locked. How would he get in? And that's why Jesus greets them with, peace be with you. I was thinking maybe God thought the only way for them to get over their fear was to scare them even more. You know, scare them even to death. That's like reverse psychology or something. He's like, I'm gonna, I have something for them. They think they're scared now. I'm going to scare them even more. You know, scare them <laughs> right into peace. But Jesus quickly reassures them and blesses them with his peace. And he tells us that his peace is that he gives is not the same peace that the world imagines. The world thinks of peace as the absence of conflict, the absence of war or stress or outside pressure. The Lord's peace is different. It's a, it's a supernatural peace that brings rest, security, safety, and well-being despite what circumstances they're in or we are in. Who wants that kind of peace? I think we all do. In fact, you see in the Old Testament that he had worshipers worship in front of the army as they're going into battle. What modern army does that today? That seems crazy that you would send the worshipers and, and the you know, tambourine players and musicians out in front to, to sing and to worship. But it was to move in his peace, to move in his rest, which doesn't make any sense to me, but that's how God works. You think you want to be doing push-ups and psyching yourself up to get ready to fight a battle, but you're singing, you're, you're relaxing. And so after blessing him with peace, Jesus shows him his hands and his side to verify that it's really him. He wouldn't assure that they weren't seeing a ghost and that he had a physical body made of flesh and blood. Even some, um, I don't know, cults were saying that Jesus didn't really appear in human flesh or it was just a spirit. Well, don't believe that because he came in flesh and blood. But when the disciples were assured it was really him, they were filled with joy. They go from fear to joy in the instant they see Jesus. And that key word I want you to focus on is seeing. See, they, they did not believe Jesus, who had previously prophesied that he was going to be put to death and would rise three days later. He'd been telling them that through, all throughout the Gospels. They did not believe Mary and the group of women who saw the risen Lord. So they didn't believe all those. They had many opportunities to believe. They did not believe them. And in Mark 16, 14, it says that Jesus scolded them because they were too stubborn to believe even those who had seen him alive. Man, that's, that's a lot of doubt. That's a lot of unbelief from, from those who had been following him for, for three years. But the truth is, is that their faith was based on seeing. When Jesus was around, they had faith. But the minute he's out of sight, they begin to flounder and they, they become lost. Even one time when Jesus was asleep on the boat. So he's, he's around them, but he's asleep. So he's not conscious. The disciples start panicking because of a fierce storm. And they woke Jesus and they actually said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're about to die? When we take our eyes off of Jesus, even for a moment... And place them on our circumstances, we panic and our peace quickly vanishes. Do we too forget how much the Lord is concerned about us and cares for us? I would say yes. And so they 
they flounder, right? They, their faith was based on seeing. And I want us to spend some time in the, in the groups, is why do we struggle trusting God when we can't see him or fill him? We'll have about three or four minutes in that. I'll read again. Why do we struggle trusting God when we can't see or fill him? You may begin. Bringing it back. Our question is, why do we struggle trusting God when we can't see or feel him? You would think the, the disciples wouldn't be afraid because you had Jesus in your boat, right? I mean, sometimes we think like that. Man, if I just had Jesus next to me, I wouldn't be afraid. But we find out from the story that they, they still were fearful. Isn't that crazy to think about? That as human beings, we still can be fearful even if God is right next to us, standing there. Or asleep, maybe in the, the room next to us. It's, it's something that we humans struggle with. All of us struggle with. I struggle with that. Even this morning I was dealing with doubt, dealing with disappointments in life. We, we all do that. But I believe that our faith, when our faith begins to waver and doubt begins to creep in, it's usually not because we stop believing in God's existence. It's because we believe that he doesn't love us or isn't concerned about us. Just like they were saying, teacher, do you not care that we're about to die? They were worried. They, they thought maybe he had stopped being concerned about them or stopped loving them. And it really boils down to this. It's, it's the, the fact that we don't really know or we don't know how much he really loves us. I, I, that's what I believe when, when our faith begins to waver, when we, when we start struggling and because we can't see him or we can't feel him. It's really because we don't know how much he, he really loves us. Sometimes we have to tell ourselves that, right? We have to remind ourselves how much God loves us. We have to remind ourselves of his promises, of the things he's spoken over our life. Because it's so easy to, to go into fear mode, to go into doubt, to go into self-pity, to go into all this complaining. But I'm so glad that we have this story because it shows how gracious Jesus is with his disciples. Even though that they are slow to learn, even though that they forget his promises and forget the things that Jesus tells them, even though in this moment they're, they're failing to exercise their faith, he still accepts them as his own. That's pretty amazing to me. Even now, even after three years of being with him and, and learning that, he still accepts them. He still, he still brings them in and calls them his own. And we see this in verse 21 Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I send you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive people's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Wow, so here they are fearful in one moment. Then Jesus appears, they're joyful. And then now he, he's giving them the Holy Spirit and he's commissioning them to go out to forgive people's sins. That's a pretty amazing thing, right? They were just, they seemed like they weren't doing the right thing. And then all of a sudden things change around when, when Christ comes. And once again we see that Jesus blesses them with peace. He breathes upon them. He gives them the gift of the Holy Spirit. Most people think that they received the Holy Spirit or the Holy Spirit was first given at Pentecost. But as we can see, he gave them the Holy Spirit in this moment. And the best explanation that I can give without going into great depth is that I believe that the Holy Spirit, or I mean God, that God gives us the Holy Spirit 
uh, not only for us, but he gives it so that we can serve his purposes for other people. In this moment, he gave them the Holy Spirit to strengthen them inwardly. They were fearful. But at Pentecost, he gave them the Holy Spirit to outwardly express power and to minister the gospel to others. That's why we saw Peter, a man who was scared of a servant girl and denied the Lord. All of a sudden, when he received the Holy Spirit, he could, he could speak boldly. He had to give a sermon to those people who, killed, who crucified Jesus. Think about that. Think about that crowd to give a sermon to people, the people that just crucified your Lord. And 3,000 people were saved that day. And so that's the best I can explain it. But I've seen it. Um, it's true in my life that he... Gives us a spirit in one sense inwardly for us, but then outwardly to minister to other people. In verse 23, Jesus gives his apostles the authority to forgive people's sins. This is a, a twofold commission. This might seem confusing, but I'll explain it this way. Firstly, when the gospel is preached, or when someone goes and they preach the gospel, the hearers have the opportunity to receive God's grace and forgiveness of sin. If the hearers do not believe, then there is no forgiveness of sin. And secondly, we know from the book of James that it says that if we confess our sins to one another, pray for one another, we will be made whole or healed. I believe that there's grace for not only those who uh, confess their sins to God, but I also think that there's a, a certain grace that comes when we are transparent and confess our sins to one another. Sometimes I've seen that uh, there's people who feel guilty about something that they did, maybe some sin that they committed, and they've been feeling guilty for years, guilty, guilt and shame. And maybe multiple, they've, been, they've asked for forgiveness multiple times for God, but I've kind of, I, I believe that, um, yeah, when you tell someone, when you begin to tell a brother or sister, when you're open with them, I believe that you can see the shame and guilt that you live with disappear. I was actually talking to a mature uh, preacher, uh, Mike Flynn, at Vineyard, and he was saying, you know, a lot of times we can fool ourselves, right, thinking that we're repentant or we're sorry, but when we're honest with other people, I really believe that's when God works. But now let's get back to our story. I want us to see how Jesus deals with Thomas's doubt. This is kind of a famous story about Thomas and Jesus. I'm going to read this whole part. It says, One of the twelve disciples, Thomas, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. Thomas said to them, Unless I see the scars of the nails in his hands and put my fingers on those scars and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, disciples were together again indoors, and Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and look at my hands and reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop your doubting and believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Do you believe because you see me? How happy are those who believe without seeing me? Now Thomas gets a, a bad rap and unfortunately um, for many Christians of us today, we know him as Doubting Thomas. But my question is, is, does God mark us by our failure or by our success? I want you to think about that. Maybe you can read the Hall of Fame in, in Hebrew. 
Does God mark us by our failure or by our success? If God marks us by our failures, then we can all be called doubters. We can all be called unbelievers. Yes, Thomas might have had a moment of doubt, but we know because of church history that in the end he faithfully followed the Lord and died as a martyr for the gospel. He might have been uh, all the way in India, and I believe uh, he died by being pierced by, by swords. The beautiful thing that we see from this story of Jesus is that he isn't afraid of our doubt. You know, sometimes uh, I, I hear that people, you know, are afraid to admit that they have doubts. We all do. It's a part of our journey of faith, of wrestling with the, the doubt and bringing our doubt to the light. And in this story, we can see that Jesus wants to, to meet us in the middle, right dab in the middle of our fears and doubt so that he can strengthen our faith. He can strengthen those weak places. What we can glean from Thomas' interaction with Jesus is learning how to believe even when we don't see. Jesus says to them, do you believe because you see me? How happy are those who believe without seeing me? That's my question for us tonight is, how do we have faith without seeing? How do we trust God in the process? How do we thank him before the answer comes? How do we praise God when we're in the storm? How do we hope even when things look impossible? I have three things that I want to cover to maybe help get our faith strengthened and realign us. Number one is, what am I committed to? And you can ask yourself, what am I committed to? Am I committed to a job or a career or, or maybe I'm committed to my dreams or my happiness or my ambitions. Greg Gloria, a preacher, said our, our commitments shape our life more than anything else. You know, we could say that we're committed to one thing, but in reality, in reality, our experience will show what we're really committed to. Maybe we're, we say we're a committed family man, but in reality, we're a workaholic, for example. Now, it's easy to take our eyes off of Jesus when we're committed to anything more than glorifying God in our lives. That's why we're created, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Number two is, what am I trusting in? Where are you getting your assurance? Is it your financial account? Is it your intellect or your plans, your spouse, your own effort or work? Maybe it's a, a political figure or a party that you're trusting in. A philosophy or guru. It can be even more than that. But anything we rely upon other than God is like sinking sand or an empty promise. Or I was thinking of like when a wanderer goes into a desert and they, they see something in the distance and it's a mirage and they think it's like uh, water. And they walk and they toil all that way to find out that it's an empty promise. It's, it's nothing. What are we trusting in? And number three, this is a, the big one, is where am I getting my daily bread? Where are we getting our nourishment? And the question I had, had is, what is the first thing you do in the morning? I know for my life, if, if the first thing I do is, uh, well, of course, I make some tea or coffee because you can't function without that. But 
If I know for me, for, for my life, this is to be true. If the first thing I seek is something other than God, then it's not going to be a good day. I really, it's a really hard discipline, but I've been learning how to discipline myself in order to seek God. And some days, you just don't feel like it, right? Some days, you just want to turn on the TV or read the news or do something else. But I really believe that we're, we have to look at where we're getting our daily bread. You know, is it a smartphone app? You know, do you have to turn on your phone right away? Is it some game or is it you have to check the news or... You know, maybe you have to watch a TV show. I, I remember that was me. I would have to watch breakfast and watch the television, which is not a good way to start the day. Or a radio talk show. You're listening to the radio. Is it checking our social media or followers or likes? This is how we, we get nourishment. Not true nourishment of the word, but how, you know, when we're kind of a little bit off. I'll read this quote from Steve Arterburn from New Live. You might have heard him on the Christian radio. He says, It amazes me how few Christians set aside time in their everyday lives to put down their concerns of the moment. Sit, read scripture, and pray to God. How much better would your life be if you took the time to do that every single day? And the letter says, If Jesus felt it necessary, necessary after all his giving and healing to very soon thereafter turn to God in order to replenish his supply of love, compassion, and strength, do we really think we can or should do anything different? Wow, I love that quote. That is something that we have to all check ourselves and discipline ourselves, even when we don't feel like, to learn how to get our daily nourishment, our daily bread from God. I've learned from my experience, you can have the great worship service or hear the best sermon the day before, but when you wake up, it's a new day. You know, your emotions, your feelings, everything can just be completely different. And it's like you have to teach and discipline yourself and speak the truth over your life again. To, to remind yourself of his promises. To remind yourself of his love, of his faithfulness in our life. And that's something that we have to do every day. You know, we're talking about there about dying to ourselves every day. And how, like, you think it gets easier, but I feel like it gets harder. You know, like, we, you, you say that... Sinner's prayer and you're saved, but, you know, I, for me, I know I still wrestle. I still wrestle with dying to my own will. But we have to die to our own will in order to follow God's desires. Now, I want to do something in the end right here. I, I want us to have some time to, um, at our tables to share and to pray. And so I want to hopefully go for 10 or 12 Maybe 15 minutes is 8.03 right now. But I want us to be open. And this is the question I have is, where are you experiencing fear or doubt in your faith? Share for one minute or less. If there's more at your table, maybe you can share for 30 seconds. I'm not asking you to share your whole life story. We don't have time for that. But this is really so that we can pray for one another, asking the Lord to strengthen us where we're weak. You know, maybe it's God's, you know, we're weak in our understanding God's love, care, concern, or we're struggling with a compulsive behavior or addiction, hopelessness, anxiety, depression. Maybe it's a relationship that we're having a hard time giving over to the Lord, our, our marriages, our family, children, friends, coworkers. A lot of times, unforgiveness. That's a very hard one. Unforgiveness of God, others, or self. I didn't put that in there, but disappointment is a big one, too. Or identity or significance. A lot of people struggle with that. Direction 
and purpose in life, job career, bills, debt, health, finances. And so those are just some examples. But I want us to share for probably the next 10 minutes and pray for each other. That's the most important thing. And then I'm going to close out um, and finish. Amen. Can you guys do that? All right. Thank you. If you're, if you're praying still, keep praying. For those who have to go, you may, you may go. But I just want to pray over us tonight and say, uh, Lord Jesus, may you strengthen our faith and help us move from a place of fear and doubt into greater intimacy and trust with you. Lord, I speak your forgiveness to those who are held by guilt and shame. And I say according to John 20, 20 22, that your sins are forgiven and that God remembers your sins no more. I speak to any fear or guilt in the body of Christ, and I command you to leave in Jesus' name. And I speak to every mountain of discouragement, stress, depression, and lack, and cast in the sea in Jesus' name. And finally, Lord, I ask you to bless us all with your abundant peace as we live here, as we leave here tonight. Amen.